When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Klopp's farewell tour begins and the quadruple quest continues. Now that the dust has settled following Friday's shock announcement, this week we'll discuss Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool legacy. And to do that, we have James Pearce and Simon Hughes. As ever, we'll start with those three words. Sum up Klopp's legacy, James. Impossible became possible. Very nice. Simon? Well, I think any Liverpool manager really is judged by performances in in Europe um, as a consequence of performances in, 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 in you know, the domestic league. So I'm just going to say Kings of Europe. I like it, I like it. And let's see what they say now for the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Elna Murray, simply the best. Stephen Kunzer, forever a legend. Craig Hume, heavy metal football. Anthony Ananins, Scouse, not German. I've only got one thing to say, though. Why now, Jürgen? To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. When I left Dortmund, my, my last sentence maybe were, it's not so important what people think when you come in. It's much more important what people think when you leave. Rigi with a chance! And surely that wins it for Liverpool! If we want, this could be a real special day. If we want. Salah for Liverpool! Have a little bit of that! And if you are prepared to work for it, if you want, if you are patient enough, all these things, if you, if you want. We are and we can start in a very difficult league with they're big and bigger and bigger maybe but on a special Liverpool way we can be successful well you know it is difficult to define anyone's legacy although Si you've just said it there you know because of the importance of Europe to Liverpool one of the things the snipers have said, and there's lots of snipers we know that in the aftermath of his announcement, is that he hasn't won that much. And compared to some other Liverpool managers, Liverpool legends, well, yeah, he hasn't won that much. But the reality is, who else has won that much in this time? I just reject that notion utterly that he should have won more. I mean, he could have won more. He's been in. Let's not forget two other Champions League finals. You lost the Europa League final, lost the League Cup final. 
So he could have won more. It's not like Liverpool have been miles away. He could have won two more Premier League titles as well. He'd been very, very close to winning two titles, taking it to the final day. You know, this is a different era compared to past eras, whether you're judging it against Liverpool or or other, t- other managers that have won things over a long period of time. But, you know, if, if he does win the Europa League this, this season, it will be a clean sweep of, of every competition that he's entered, which I think is pretty impressive. I think what is great about sort of the development of the Liverpool team is it hasn't just been overnight. It has, you've seen the gradual development year on year on year, certainly the first four, five years. And I think that was what gave Liverpool fans the confidence that things were going in the right direction. They could see the progress of the team. I know throughout that period, you get lots of fans and, and commentators saying, well, he still hasn't won anything yet. No, but they were getting closer and they were getting closer and they were getting closer. And I think it just shows that if you if you get the right manager, if you do the right transfer deals, if you operate in a real trans- financial world, you can you can you can be successful if you hang in there. I mean, I I just think his legacy, as I say, you think about Liverpool's relevance in Europe is really important. When he came in, Liverpool were miles away in Europe and have been for quite some time. Well, they've gone yeah. to Real Madrid, hadn't they? They played a weekend yeah. team and was a laughing stock, a laughing stock. It was Tony. It was really embarrassing. Like some of the performances over the previous five years, he corrected that almost immediately. You know, like he. Got into the European League final in the first season. I put in a piece the other day. I think the first season, arguably, you could say is in, in isolation his biggest achievement because of the players that they had then. And he managed to to get all the way to, to two finals. I know they lost them both. But then since then, it's been you know a gradual progression year on year up until 2020. They've had two off seasons since then. But then they bounced back with one potentially amazing season two years ago. And this could be an amazing season as well. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I do laugh when I hear particularly supporters of clubs that haven't won anything for a long, long time saying... Evertonians! <laughs> well, you know, a lot of them have got a lot to say. I've been inundated with texts of, of friends saying this, and I'm just like, what planet are you on? I can only assume they're on the wind-up. Yeah, planet Goodison, the place without atmosphere. No, no, that's wrong! Shouldn't say things like that. I mean, oh. But James, I think for me, the most important thing, we won't really be able to understand Klopp's legacy. I don't think so for for decades or more. Um, and I think in 10 years' time, we're going to look back on this period with abject horror and say, how were Manchester City allowed to do all this? And why were the only people who challenged them? Liverpool Football Club under Klopp? Yeah, well, imagine how boring English football would have been in this era without Klopp's Liverpool. It, w- it would have been just a, an absolute procession, wouldn't it? Also, just the ridiculous heights that he's consistently taken Liverpool to when you went in the context of a self-sustaining business model where he's always had to kind of wheel and deal and balance the books and probably with the exception of, of Van Dijk and Alisson, you know, those would be the two kind of transformative elite world-class signings he brought in. You know, by and large, the recruitment has been about elevating players to the world-class level, you know, not buying the finished article. Um, you know, what he's done with so many young players, you look at the career of Trent Alexander-Arnold and, of course, Curtis Jones now. Yeah, it's, it's just been incredible. And also the style in which he's done it, you know, the brand of football, the way in which he, the, almost like the the ability to transition from that one iconic team that won the biggest prizes to rebuilding, you know, a, a second one. Uh, and of course, you know, he talked last week about 
the importance to him of handing it over in a good state of affairs. I think he felt a duty to put right what had gone so wrong last season. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, one Premier League title, you know, you know, it's a bit of a fuss, isn't it? It's like, nah, come off it. It's, um, for a start, I think it's six trophies, isn't it? It could be, could be 10 by the end of the season. But I don't, I just don't think you can, you can't just categorize this reign based on trophies. I mean, Klopp always talked, didn't he, about it's about the journey. And God, I watched, I watched a montage online last night, actually, like a 10 minute collection of the journey from, from where it started to where we're at now. And, yeah, sometimes you have to pinch yourself what, what we've lived. Did you cry? <laughs> did you weep? Um, do you know what? I, I, I didn't last night. I did on Friday night, just just a little one. Yeah, I think I think it is sad because, because I, I, we all knew that the day would come, but I, I didn't think it would come so soon. I thought I didn't think he'd go on beyond 2026, but I thought having built what he's built again, I thought he would stick around to kind of enjoy the fruits of that labour. So... It does make you think, you know. It make, makes you reflect, doesn't it, on, on what you know, what what he's done, what he's come to represent, and the impossible task of trying to, you know, fill those boots. Yeah, definitely. And well, and Jurgen's got us to another final. So it's time now to go beyond the frame with Google Pixel, the official mobile phone partner of Liverpool Football Club. And this week, James looks back on the Reds booking the place at Wembley from last week's draw against Fulham at Craven Cottage. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. I'm just leaving Craven Cottage where Liverpool celebrated booking their passage to the final of the Carabao Cup. Jurgen Klopp's side had to dig deep to withstand some late pressure from Fulham and cling on to that precious 3-2 lead on aggregate. There were a lot of heroes in red tonight. But for me, Joe Gomez was the, the pick of them. You know, he's done an unbelievable job for this team, playing as, a, as not only a makeshift left-back, but also he's been playing in that hybrid role that we've been used to Trent Alexander-Arnold filling on the other side, where the full-back steps into midfield to give Liverpool an extra player centrally when they're in possession. And you know, he's, he's really showcased his versatility over the past month. He's, he's started six out of six since Simakas suffered that broken collarbone and of course Robertson before that had, had dislocated his shoulder so Liverpool were without a senior left back that could really have derailed this season for Jurgen Klopp's side yet Gomez has really come to the fore so good in possession completed 38 of his 45 passes tonight gained possession on six occasions only young Gerald Kwanzaa won the ball back more often tonight there were some crucial blocks and crucial inter- interceptions and clearances in there as well. He could be really, really proud of his night's work, Joe Gomez. You know, he's been at Liverpool a long time now, the longest-serving player, the only one who predates Jurgen Klopp's appointment as manager. There's been a lot of ups and downs, some serious injuries, and some tough periods where he probably thought he wouldn't get his place back into the team. But he has really shown his worth to this team. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. 
Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Hello, I'm Michael Cox, a tactics writer for The Athletic, and I've been asked to consider what Jurgen Klopp's main impact is on the Premier League. And I think it's twofold. I think the most important thing really is just that he's brought more excitement to the league. If it wasn't for Klopp helping Liverpool to punch above their weight, we wouldn't have had a title race for five years. It would have been City just winning the league by 15, 20 points every year. And instead, we had Liverpool breaking their spell of dominance in 2020 and two other seasons where they finished just a point behind Manchester City. And it was actually a similar situation in Germany. I mean, Bayern have won the last 11 titles. Without Klopp helping Dortmund punch above their weight, it would have been the last 12 or the last 13. So at a time when Europe's elite are more distant from the chasing pack than ever before, Klopp has provided more intrigue and more excitement than any other manager of the modern era. Tactically, I think the main impact has been the popularity of counter-pressing and to a certain extent pressing more generally, which I think Liverpool have done more after the introduction of VAR, which has helped them push their defensive line even higher as they're less likely to suffer from any wrong offside decisions. The front three of Salah, Firmino and Mane may be the most cohesive the Premier League has ever seen. And it's worth pointing out that crossing really declined as a general route of attack about a decade ago. And Alexander-Arnold and Robertson have really brought that back. We're accustomed to attacking fullbacks, but when you look at other Premier League winners over the last decade, they've generally been defensive-minded, as Piliqueta and Ivanovic at Chelsea, Fuchs and Danny Simpson at Leicester. Guardiola has used his fullbacks either drifting inside or now he's using a defence comprised entirely of centre-backs. Klopp has done it differently and he's done it with great success and I think the Premier League will really miss him. Thanks for that, Michael. It's clear to see the influence Klopp has had on this era of Premier League football. But say, one of the most important things he's done is connect with the crowd and restore that link between manager and the cop. And that's important to the heritage of Anfield. And he's got the he's got the place buzzing. He's had the place buzzing. Let's have its best again. And that's going to be important, isn't it? In finding a successor, someone that the people in the stands can relate to and connect with the style of football too. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot to be said. I mean, for the style of the football, but the style, of, I think every successful football team is a reflection of that manager's personality, basically. And there's all sorts of words that you could use to, to describe Jürgen Klopp. But what, what, what I think he is, he's definitely front-footed. <laughs> he doesn't sidestep things. And I think you see that with the way Liverpool team has played over long periods of time. I mean, people talk about gegenpressing and stuff like that. But I think what Jürgen Klopp has done very differently to any Liverpool manager, really, is deliver an attacking football that people might say, well, you know, Kenny Dalglish created a team that was like sort of based around attractive football. But I don't think any team has been as aggressive and played as attacking football as this, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe as well. If you look at Liverpool's success, sort of post-1990 under Julia and Benitez, the football at times was, was quite conservative and savvy. Whereas Klopp has, has delivered this team, which um, has played some of the most exciting football I'd say the Premier League's ever seen. And some of the, and, and it's in line with the with the way European football is now. You know, it's not as 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 I say conservative as as it was 10, 15 years ago. You've got to be on the attack and really go for it. And some of the results that Liverpool have had, you know, just spectacular results, both at home and away. So I think that is something that any manager that follows him is going to 
have to really tune into because I don't think Liverpool can go back to really being like a, a team that grinds out results anymore. They're going to have to find a way to play exciting football, which excites the crowd and gets results. It's not very easy to do that. No, no, that's that's a, an interesting point, James. The next manager coming into the job's got to have like one eye on that, and and especially given the personnel of the squad. I mean, you're not going to come in, are you? You know, it's like this is not a job for Rafa to take over <laughs> and like and start, you know, start grinding out one nil results, is it? Yeah, yeah, I think you know, style is definitely going to going to be a key part of the the search for a successor. I think that was. From the the people I spoke to at the back end of last week after the news broke, it was it was pretty clear that data w- was going to have an important part to play with Will Spearman, the director of research at the club, and and his team that had been been kind of working on this for a couple of months since since Klopp had, had first told the the owners of his intention to step down at the end of the season because it has to be the right fit. There's no, there's just it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to bring in someone who wants to play a completely different way than the talent he inherits because you certainly don't want... there. It's, it's not a situation, is it, where a new manager is going to be coming in and set and wanting to make wholesale changes because I think the owners will want someone who's ridiculously excited about what he's going to inherit. And to be fair, I think most, most candidates would be. I mean, re- rewind to when Klopp got the job. Um, and one of the things that obviously counted in his favour was... You know, when they spoke to Ancelotti, it was very much, well, you know, we need this, this and this. While Klopp was like, you know, wow, I love this team. I've been been looking at the recent matches. You know, how on earth did you get Roberto Firmino you know, out of Hoffenheim? Can't wait to work with him. And it was, yeah, they'll be looking for that kind of reaction when the interview process is, is underway. Because as Simon said, there's you can't put the, 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 the genie back in the bottle. Like it's... You, you, Liverpool. This is this is Liverpool's brand of football, and I don't think anyone wants to go backwards. Well, th- this is what worries me. Again, pick up on this: is what got Klopp the job essentially was personality. Can analytics do personality? I don't think so. And I mean, let's face it: when he come in in 2015 and told the owners that with this squad he could compete for all four trophies, Jurgen was blagging. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. I mean, I think. Where the analytics comes in, it, it might get people through the door in front of the, you know, in front of the owners, and then it'd be up to them to sort of yeah. prove their credentials in terms of their personality. But I know what you're getting at, Tony. The way it's sort of being signposted is, oh, Liverpool are trying to get some laboratory version of Jurgen Klopp, basically, which which doesn't exist, obviously. I mean, you cannot overstate the importance of his personality and his charisma, and his power and the control and the way he runs the club. How how key that has been to to Liverpool getting to where they want to be. I, again, I think the conversation's been sort of lost a little bit. It's like pe- some people saying, "Well, Chabi Alonso, you know, his teams play high possession football and blah blah blah." But you're not telling me if you ask Alexis McAllister, Ryan Gravenberg, um, you know, Curtis Jones, and some of the other really talented midfielders that Liverpool have to adjust the way they play, they wouldn't be able to do it. You know, I think what links them all is, again, that sort of front-footedness. I think that the Klopp teams where maybe there hasn't been as much analysis as people probably should have given it. You know, in terms of, they speculate a lot more on the, Jürgen Klopp's teams speculate a lot more, and I love that. You know, like sort of a team that's not afraid to make mistakes, basically. That's what it translates into. Whereas I suppose possession football is you've got to be a bit more careful with the ball and, 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 and make sure that you don't lose it. Whereas Klopp, 
isn't that bothered if he loses it? He just wants to see it won back as quickly as possible. So I think that is... There's all sorts of different ways of playing exciting football, isn't there? Really. It could be possession. It could be more like along the lines of gag and pressing. I think the players that Liverpool have got at the moment, if you ask them and, and coach them, they, they could do either, really. I don't think there's this massive disparity between what Liverpool now have and what they need. What they do need to deliver is a coach who is able to take on the civic responsibilities of managing Liverpool Football Club and the city and the history around the city and understanding sort of what to say and understanding how to address the public on not just football issues, but non-football issues as well. I think that's really important. I think it's got to be a, a big personality manager who has his own ideas as well, because one thing that's been proven is FSG at times have needed to be led. I think they've got their own ideas about the analytics and, and how to structure a football club. Over the years, I would argue that, you know, I wrote in a piece of the other day, I think Jürgen Klopp's actually got probably too much power at, at, to some degree and more decisions as the years have gone, which is going to make it harder to restructure what needs to be done behind the scenes, the stuff that people don't see and rarely talk about, I'd say. So, yeah, I, I think um, the one thing that we have to stress is, you know, the fella taking on the, the Liverpool job compared to Jürgen Klopp is in the Harrison a much a much more capable hand than he did. I mean, as you said, Tony, some of the players that they had at that point, they had no right to to to, to compete for trophies as quickly as they did under Jürgen Klopp. And a lot of that was just down to him, if we're being totally honest, you know, like sort of his persuasiveness and his his determination to heave the team off the floor and a fair bit of luck in that first season as well, I think we should say. But um, I think whoever inherits yeah. the job is, is inheriting a much stronger much stronger club with certainly with much better players anyway, who who are adaptable adaptable players who I think can switch to, towards different styles, but I think that style has to be attacking. James, so I just talked about how adaptable the squad is, and the next manager will benefit from that. <laughs> it's a far cry from the squad that Jurgen inherited, isn't it? That wasn't very adaptable at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think when you when you look at the age profile now. It has changed pretty drastically in the la- over the last probably well two years. Certainly, when you look at you know having having lost Henderson and Milner, uh, Firmino, obviously Sadio Mane before that, you know, and, and then what McAllister, Gravenberg, you know, Endo was the exception to the rule, wasn't he? With um, with with his age profile, was a Bosley young, vibrant, you know, there, you know, there there is a real kind of youthful feel to it and then when you throw into the mix you know the the, the way in which the academy youngsters have just added an, another edge this season with Kwanzaa coming out of nowhere and then you know even in recent weeks how good has Connor Bradley been and then you see McConnell make his full debut last weekend Bobby Clark has been trusted with some really important minutes off off the bench um so yeah all of that bodes well but, you know building the team wasn't just Klopp. When he arrived, say, there was a you know a, a fairly strong structure there in uh, Michael Edwards and Mike Gordon from Fenway Sports Group, uh, who was co- you know, sort of coordinating it. And Klopp come in. They formed a, a, a fairly well. They formed a very effective recruitment group. Um, I mean, my view is that. Edwards, who you know, every everyone remember we go to, we always go to the build a statue to him, and everyone forgets Emery Shan and Markovitz. You know, it's a, but it seemed to me that Klopp sort of mitigated Edwards' worst instincts, and vice versa for quite a while. Yeah, well, people forget 
I think <laughs> the before Klopp, you know, there was a, there was a debate up he had about Michael Edwards. Really, his his hit rate was was much lower than sort of three or four years later. I mean, the the thing that I always feel about this is that Klopp had such a clearly defined way of playing and had a very clear vision of what he wanted from players, both in their personalities, their their abilities on the pitch and their functions, that that makes Michael Edwards' job a lot easier. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it a lot easier. Whereas before that, you know, Brendan Rodgers was sort of <laughs> seemed quite confused about what he wanted at the point. He came in. We're not laughing you know, at you, Brendan. Possession We're manager. not laughing. Yeah, he, he, he nearly won the league playing counter-attack and football. And then by the end, you know, I'm not really sure what it was. So by, by the end, it was quite unclear what Brendan Rodgers was trying to achieve on the pitch. I think he'd gone through all sorts of different approaches in, in the previous uh, three years. Whereas Klopp comes in, you know, straight away, roughly what sort of, very basically, what formation he wants to play, what he wants his team to do, what he wants the players to do. So when you've got that, it becomes a lot more straightforward, I would say, for a sporting director to, to identify what they want because they know that the manager is going to is going to stick to what to, to to his plan. Really, I mean, for the first, it'd be interesting to go back and look, but I I, I think maybe in his first season, James. He tried three at the back at one game in Stoke, or maybe it was his second game. Right, second right in a way, he played three at the back. I remember when Al- when Aldum actually played as one of the three centre halves. Yes, yes, he did, and he got a result that day, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure they did. I just remember, yeah, when Aldum said about how he was just absolutely shell shocked when he when Klopp, <laughs> Klopp lifted the sheet in the team meeting room and said, "Right, this is it for today." The uh, yeah. Well, that's it. It shows, doesn't it, that he's really stuck religiously to sort of the formation, at least. That obviously things have changed within that formation over certainly over the last few years in terms of the expectations on the fullbacks and everything else. But it's tended to be that he's made those changes with players who have been there a long time, so they they understand the rhythm and the expectations of other positions. You know what I mean? So, I think, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the, the the ingredients were there when Klopp arrived for Liverpool to be successful, but it would take a lot, you know, for the for the three of them to sort of develop a rhythm and an understanding of how each other works. You know, certainly Klopp and Edwards, I would say, were personalities that certainly challenged each other a lot. By the end, I, th- I think that had an impact on, on the relationship and, and obviously Edwards moved on. I think he chose the right time to do that, possibly because he'd been at the club for such a, you know, 10 years, more or less, at that, at that point. And Liverpool had won everything there was to win. So I think like anyone at Liverpool, there's so much talk of burnout at the moment with Liverpool, where's the players, the manager, you know, the staff. I think they all suffer from it because, you know, the quest for making Liverpool successful is is exhausting on so many different levels, whether it's the, the demands of the manager or the demands just on the from the supporter base or all sorts of different reasons. So, yeah, I think um, the, the challenge for Liverpool from here really is to find... Not just a manager, but a sporting director. There's there's a, a lot of pressure, would say, on Mike Gordon, you know, over the next couple of months, really, because he's the one who's going to be key in, in, in this process. He obviously was the one who, I would say, I don't want to say discovered Michael Edwards, but he was the one who certainly hung his hat on him when nobody else would. He thought, this is the guy that I want running my team. He's going to have to do that all over again. And then he's also going to have to find a manager who will work with this sporting director. So, Huge responsibility. Yeah, James, people keep asking me, is there any chance Edwards will come back? No, 
I don't think there is, no. He obviously set up his own consultancy business, doesn't he, with um, with Ian Graham. Um, and he'd made it pretty clear that he didn't fancy the idea of going back in to be a sporting director at another big club. He'd had numerous offers um, from across Europe since he'd, since he'd left Liverpool. So, um, no, barring a, a major U-turn on from that front, I, I don't see that one as, as being a goer. Mm. Any thoughts on uh, who might be in the frame for the sporting director? To be honest, no. And then I think I think that's probably a, a sign of there aren't too many obvious, compelling candidates out there. And I, and I think that's also why Liverpool have kind of ended up where they are now. Because let's not forget, Julian Ward gave Liverpool what six, seven months' notice. Um, I think it was the November time when he said that he was going to go at the end of the season. And they couldn't find who they wanted. So they ended up turning to Jörg Schmadke, tempting him out of retirement. And, you know, that was only ever a stopgap, you know, a one-year contract that even the one year was kind of like, it was very much kind of, let's just see how we go. We need you. We definitely need you for the summer. If things go well in the summer, then we can reassess. And as it was, Liverpool had a very successful summer in terms of, you know, they there are obviously some blips with what happened with Caicedo and Lavia, but in general, Klopp was happy with what got done and Jörg Schmadke was kept around. And now, you know, he, he essentially waves goodbye this week. So, um, yeah, I think the fact it's dragged on so long shows that it isn't, it's not an easy task finding the right man, but you, you 100% have to have a sporting director in place before you appoint a manager. I don't, I don't see how it can work otherwise, because I think, you need the sporting director in and then the sporting director knows exactly and plays a part as well in, you know, that process of appointing a manager because I think FSG will want to restore that dynamic of, you know, more checks and balances, if you like, and and it being much more of a double act rather than a manager who's, you know, got this all-encompassing, dominant, massively influential roller across the whole club. Well, well, that again brings up a question, Sai. Had there been a better structure in place, taking some of the pressure off Jürgen Klopp, might his exhaustion of not reach these levels so quickly, and might we got another couple of years out of him? Is this a failure of Femway? Um, I would say on on both. I don't want to say failure, but it's 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 both on the Jürgen Klopp. And on Fenway as well. I mean, Jurgen Klopp was quite revealing. I actually thought on his his exit. Well, uh, he obviously hasn't exited yet, but his, his press interview with the, the in-house website where he said that you know his I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but he sort of says his responsibilities and control grew considerably over the years. It wasn't by design; it just happened. Really, I think that's what happens really when you get a manager who wins what he wins and does everything that he does. And people either move away because they realise, well, actually, I could get a better job elsewhere now. My stock's so high that I've been working for Liverpool and, you know, under this period, I can get better wages somewhere else. And then there's other people who just sort of have had enough of working. You know, it's, it's a, as I say, it's, it's, it's a hard, relentless job working behind the scenes at Liverpool. So, I mean, I, I'm just interpreting here. But given the way the summer went last summer, where... You've got Jörg Schmadeke coming in, basically as Jürgen Klopp's man. Jürgen Klopp would have had, I suspect, more involvement in this whole process than maybe he has had in previous years. Surely it's logical to think that, given that, you know, Schmadeke has links to Klopp. 
and Klopp was shaping the, the direction of which players that they were signing more, that is going to tire a person out over someone when he's meant to be resting as well. Again, this is just my interpretation. But then you're going into a season where the transfer window has gone right up into the last moments where they've tried desperately to get Caicedo. That hasn't worked. They've had to go at Lavia. That hasn't worked. And they've, they've ended up with Endo. You know, that all brings additional pressure. So, yeah, I mean, I'd imagine for Jürgen Klopp, this, this summer has been different to the other ones. And then if it hasn't contributed towards how he's sort of feeling around the autumn time, I would be surprised. Again, I must stress that's my interpretation of how things have worked and how things usually work at football clubs. I personally think that FSG have probably allowed themselves too much to be swayed by him at certain points, which may have helped immediate results, but in the long term, frayed away at at, energy levels. And I think, you know, um, it'd be interesting to hear from FSG exactly what they think, because, you know, we never hear from, you know, we talk about Mike Gordon a lot, but, you know, he he wasn't at the press conference the other day. It was Billy Hogan doing all the answers uh, beside Klopp. When really, it's it's Mike Gordon that we need to, to hear from, I would say. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. James, the whole sporting director thing perhaps wouldn't be so huge if three of the best players in the squad weren't in the contract negotiation window. Yeah, I think that is why it is so compelling that that gets addressed as a as a matter of urgency because um, I think you know, it is quite rare, isn't it, to have three such key dominant players down to well in, now inside their last eighteen months and hurtling towards their last year in the summer. So um, yeah, I, I think it's bound to be a talking point, especially as well after you know on the back of. Klopp's announcement that he's he's leaving it in May. I spoke to Van Dijk after the game on Sunday, and you know I, he wasn't keen to talk about Klopp's decision because he he kept banging the drum about how you know it's so important that the players focus on the job in hand, and I completely understand that. But I said to him, "Well, you know, do you see yourself being part of the of the next era at this club?" And he said, "You know, that's a big question. You know, well, I don't know." And he said, you know, went on to say, I'm very curious about which direction the club go in. And, you know, I think that obviously leads to to some big headlines and and, and probably some concern amongst supporters. But I, I think it was just what you'd expect Van Dyke or anyone else in this position to say, because, you know, now now that they know that Klopp is going and it was a big shock for the players as much as the, the supporters, you know, they you know, they will want to see, won't they? They want to know, you know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to be rushing to put pen to paper when, you know, there's no manager, there's no coaching staff beyond the end of May. They, they want some clarity. So, and that's not, you know, that I don't think that's negative. I think that's just, just real life. That's just, you know, the reality of it. You know, you, Van Dyke would, you know, he, he could have said, you know, of course, of course, I'll be at Liverpool next season. What, you know, how can you possibly ask that? But why would he say that when you know he doesn't even know who the manager's gonna be? So um Klopp was asked about that in the press conference and and he was he was quite dismissive. He said, you know, it's it's a media thing, it's not something that, that fans are 
uh, are unduly worried about. He said there's no no reason for anyone to be concerned, but it is a it's a topic. Every, every fan I know is pooping themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, and and again, it ties into this this thing, and I completely get it. Like, you know, Klopp is desperate for no distractions, isn't he? He wants focus to be on the pitch uh, on every single game. You know, he, it ties in with even what he said about the supporters after Sunday. You know, please, for 95 minutes, forget that the manager's leaving at the end of the season. J- just get behind the players. And, and, and I, you know, the, you know I, I completely get it, but it's also unrealistic to think you can just park something so momentous for the next three and a half months and say, okay, fair enough. We won't, we won't talk about it because um, yeah, it is a, it is a big deal because, you know, and they're in different positions, obviously, you know, probably you'd, you'd have to say Alexander Arnold's contract should be the absolute priority when you look at, you know, his, his age and how many years he's got ahead of him and just how important he's going to be potentially for so long. You know, he was given the vice captaincy as kind of succession planning, for further down the line. So, you know, and, 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 and yeah, you'd like to think that hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll get the clarity on who's going to be the new manager. That new manager will then, you know, articulate to, to these players and to the new sporting director that we hope will be in place. Right. You know, we need this, this and this done as a matter of urgency. These players need extensions. Those players can hear what they need to hear. And those extensions can get signed because, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I, for the life of me, I can't see any new Liverpool manager wanting to risk losing Salah, Van Dyke, or, or Alexander Arnold. Why would you? I mean, you know, they're they're the absolute bedrock of this team. Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm Trent, basically, I'm going to sit tight until next Christmas and see how things go in the first half of next season. And then, I mean, and, and there's one of the problems, because then you have the option of walking away on a free. But, you know, I'd be very nervous about the new era. And the thing is, you can't just look at it. You've, you've got to analyse it from the point of view of a player, a professional. You can't just look at it from a fan's point of view. You know, I love Liverpool Football Club. I'm going to stay there. Well, you've got to do what's best for you professionally. And I think this this creates a really difficult set of circumstances for Liverpool. So, yeah, it's, uh, the timing of this announcement isn't ideal in that respect. Well, James, I mean, we've, we've got to switch back to football and Chelsea are coming up. Let's face it, we got really lucky with Chelsea. The Saudis and Chelsea helped us last year because, you know, we um, the Saudis gave us money for two players who had reached the end and Chelsea stopped us from buying well, they might have turned out brilliant at Anfield, but two players who haven't exactly set the, the league on fire and were heavily overpriced. We've got better. How do you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they are a very strange case, aren't they, Chelsea? When you look at the sheer amount of money that's been thrown at that and it and it kind of ties in what we were saying before about that is what makes the Klopp reign as incredible as it has been, the fact that, Liverpool have been so clever and the way in which Klopp himself has maximised the talent at his disposal all the way through. And what a contrast to Chelsea, who have squandered so much money. You know, there there has been no kind of like shrewd, intelligent approach to recruitment. It's been very much scattergun. You know, what have they spent? Over a billion, I think it is, since their, their change of ownership. 
And there's been times when I've watched them this season and you just think, wow, you know, they are a mess. Um, they have improved of late. The, the results have, have got better. You know, they, you know, they, I think everyone was waiting to see what was going to happen at home to Middlesbrough in the second leg of that Carabao semi because having lost the first leg, you know, that would have been a proper embarrassment for, for Pochettino if he hadn't got them through to Wembley. Of course, they absolutely demolished Michael Carrick's side and, and everything was, was good again. So, um, yeah, they're a strange team, Chelsea. I, I still think Liverpool as a unit are, are going to be far too strong for them. I think you think back to the opening weekend of the season at Stamford Bridge, and, and I thought on balance Liverpool were probably fortunate to come away with a point that day. You know, it was a it was a new Liverpool team. Of course, they didn't have a you know they hadn't at that point they hadn't re- recruited, finished their recruitment. They were still looking to to kind of you know, re- trying to work out where they, what direction they were going to go in, having missed out on Caicedo and Lavia. But yeah, when you think to where Liverpool are at now compared to then, they should be too strong for Chelsea, despite the fact that Chelsea have picked up in recent weeks. And just to end this, I hear there's been a sighting of the lesser spotted Thiago. James, tell me about it. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Nine, nine months since Thiago last... Uh, Played for Liverpool. I think it was West Ham. I think was his was his last outing. Uh, yeah, back in back in full training. So um, yeah, Jurgen Klopp described it as a as a wonderful sight to to have him. And he's you know he's he's had some horrendous misfortune with that that hip problem that that ruled him out of the back end of last season initially. Um, you know, various times where he thought he was on the verge of being able to fully train again, and the pain came back and. So I hope Thiago is able to come, you know, play a part. I mean, he faces a battle, doesn't he, to to get minutes because the squad is looking so strong at the minute, especially with Zabozlai now back fit again. And you look at young James McConnell the other day and, you know, even Bobby Clark when he's come on as well. But yeah, there is a little bit of stardust there, isn't there, with Thiago, which you still think he could have, he could have some in, important you know, displays to make over the, the last few months because... It's it's his goodbye. Is his 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 kind of long goodbye as well as Klopp's because um, you know he's out of contract in the summer, and I think you know I don't think anyone for a second thinks that that's going to be going to be extended beyond May. Yeah, let, we all wish Thiago well because I tell you what, he's given everything for the club. He's always tried, and. Um, and he's a fantastic player. Well, that's it from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. A huge week of action is ahead of us. Chelsea and then Arsenal on Sunday. So make sure you catch your At The Match pod on Sunday. And we'll be back next week. As ever, we're plenty to talk about. The Athletic. <laughs>